Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Shut up and sit down. All right, everybody, we're back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. This is episode 90, uh, one recorded uh, at our apartment in Indianapolis at the ATA show with uh, Troy Fowler, the Ranch Ferry. And, um, you know, Troy, he may be kind of eccentric and excitable on his uh, YouTube channel, but um, he's got a lot of great information about heavy arrows. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today, heavy arrows. And it, it just seems to, to work. Um, we're going to definitely try it out. Um, and it, after recording this episode, I listened to one of the last episodes with um, uh, the Knock On podcast with Aaron Snyder and, and John Dudley. And uh, they get to talking about it towards the end uh, of the podcast about arrows and broadheads and setups and things like that. And um, what we're talking about here isn't exactly the same, but that's a good good podcast. But they were talking about extreme front of center. And um, I really had to take that into consideration. So, um, you know, Troy gets into it in the podcast and breaks down everything. But we're not really talking about extreme front of center. Now, some of his setups are um, quite extreme. Uh, but basically what he's talking about is somewhere around the neighborhood of 20% FOC with a 650-grain arrow and a single bevel broadhead being uh, the standard for the uh, Ashby system of um, arrow building, I guess. Um, so uh, just take that into consideration um, when you're listening to this, if you're one of the detractors or if you're one of the guys that says, you know, this isn't... Um, this isn't what we've been taught that, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking of big arrows and broadheads and, and, and flight. Um, this isn't extreme front of center. So the, like I say, some of the builds that he talks about are extreme front of center. Uh, but that isn't what, what necessarily he's saying. He's just saying, you know, perfect arrow flight, sharp broadheads 
and you know if you can get them uh, up over 650 grams great uh, but what's most important is that they're you know heavy um, sharp and that they're tuned so um, this is just a great episode and it, it really kind of goes back to almost like the old school when you think of aluminum arrows and and the the weight that was there and and the amount of pastures that you had if you if you hunted in that era um, just a fun episode you know Troy's a fun guy to have around and a great guy to talk to because you know um, you know Frank said it on the podcast a few times but like when you talk to the pig man you got to have have fun be yourself and kill shit and uh, that's that's exactly what Troy does and uh, he, he just loves to talk about this stuff it's a great episode so um, I think you're really going to enjoy it and um, just wanted to give uh, some information uh, about uh, some of the things we've got coming up. Uh, we did get booked everything, same spot, everything for the Total Archery Challenge this year. We're going to be planning another cookout. So if anybody's going to be up at the Total Archery Challenge, Boyne Mountain, we're going to be doing a cookout up there uh, Friday night so as not to interfere with the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation um, dinner that they have going on there. Uh, we'll have more details about that to come if anybody's got any questions or anything feel free to reach out to us um, and we're going to be uh, you know hosting that again with uh, the Hunivore and uh, hopefully the guys from the Boga podcast uh, Jared uh, is another Michigan guy and I think they're going to be up there and, and we're going to try and get as many people up there as as we possibly can to hang out and meet up with uh you know any of you guys that that listen and follow along and um you know we just want to say thank you to everybody that does follow along comes up there and our patreons um we just gave away our uh, patreon giveaway uh last at the beginning of this month last week or so and uh that stuff's getting shipped out so chris that's coming your way uh we had a our first uh female patreon sign up naomi uh, another michigan uh hunter that that follows along and um she won one of our giveaways last summer and i don't don't know what uh what's drawn her to the podcast but we do certainly appreciate it and for those of you that don't know what uh, patreon is it's just kind of like a crowdfunding uh thing where um you know it's a monthly uh auto draft donation to the podcast that helps us with the hosting and uh doing things like having the cookout and things like that, going to the ATA show. Um, but right now what we're doing with any of the money that we get is we're putting it back into quarterly giveaways. And um, I've got some real exciting things coming up for giveaways uh, here for the second and third quarters that I'm still working on this one. Uh, but if you listen to our last podcast, Jason Simkowiak with his um, uh, bow hunting course. Uh, so he's got an online course. Um that he gives it's a video series uh that he adds to continually and it's like hundreds of hours of videos that aren't on youtube and uh showing how he breaks down topography um where he hunts how he hunts um all of his tips and tricks and everything like that uh so we're going to give away one of his courses i talked to him earlier this week uh, and we're going to get that as part of our, our giveaway and i still have some other things in the works that i think you guys are really going to be excited about but i can't say them just yet um but for our patrons we do uh everybody that signs up for patreon and follows along i've got um you know, they go into a drawing every quarter and we draw our 
our winner for that. You can check that out at patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And uh, for those Patreons, um, I put things in a, a private Facebook group and we we're working on our streaming and everything like that. And I've just been streaming from my phone to the uh, Facebook group. So while we were at ATA, we were kind of showing off some of the products down there and um, they were following along with the podcast. So they may have caught some of this podcast and the next one coming up with uh, Matt Garris from Out on a Limb. That's going to be uh, coming up here real soon. But those were streaming live from... Uh, from the ATA show. So just some of the other things that we do for our patrons. Uh, but if that's not for you guys, that, you know, that's just something that we really do appreciate. But if you're not here, um, you know, you're just uh, checking out the ranch ferry. You're just checking out this, uh, please do this. All we would ask is that you tell somebody else about the podcast. So if you took something away from this podcast or one of the other podcasts, just, um, let them, you know, tell somebody else, you know, we just want to reach as many people as we possibly can. And you can follow along with us on, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and, uh, our YouTube. Uh, I got a bunch more, uh, videos that are coming out here very shortly on that, as well as, um, you know, we're going to be doing an arrow build on there, uh, with paper tuning and everything like that. Uh, just like Troy outlines in this podcast. So with no further ado, um, Enjoy the episode, and thank you so much for listening. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Got John here with me, sitting here with uh, the Ranch Ferry Troy Fowler. I got uh, the Peanut Gallery Ernie. Uh, Frank, Uncle Frank over there, he's in the naughty chair. <laughs> He's being too loud on his phone, and then we've got uh, Todd Steen here, uh, just uh, do a little podcast at the apartment that John has so graciously found for us. You're the man. <laughs> and the it's, old man next door told us to keep it down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uncle Frank and the Ranch Ferry in the same room. Um, yeah. That's, we'll see we, might, we, we might create a black hole. Yeah. See if we can make it through the first night without getting kicked out. Yeah. That'd be good. So... Um, going to talk a little bit about, or a lot about, uh, broadheads and arrows kind of on the next level. Um, so when John and I went on our elk hunt, we talked about uh, trying to do some heavy arrow setups and uh, fixed blades and things like that. And um, John may be on the right path, uh, but he's shooting such a ridiculous setup that it's not uh, for everybody uh, with 80 pounds and, you know, shooting uh, bullet holes with... 600 grain arrows or or whatever um and then in walks the ranch ferry and he says your 440 grain arrows are not heavy and uh, <laughs> your fixed blade broadheads are not exactly what you're looking for um and to get that perspective you know wanted to talk with troy he has um a lot of information quite a bit of um uh, history data everything um to kind of go along with you know what he he so eloquently and um i don't know eccentrically puts out there on on youtube absolutely but uh tell us a little bit about yourself troy and kind of like where this all comes from and what the hell is a ranch ferry oh that's 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 pretty easy actually so um I started my channel. Well, we'll start with the ranch ferry. So we have a ranch in South Texas and I'm the ranch manager and um, I've been calling myself a ranch ferry for 10 years because uh, my wife's the eldest of 10 kids 
and there's 38 nieces and nephews. And when, you know, the coffee pot doesn't work, when the scooter breaks or there's a fence down or whatever, they call somebody and they call the ranch ferry. And I just started saying, just <laughs> kind of being a jackass, right? <laughs> okay, fine. Don't call me. Call the ranch ferry if you want magical crap to happen. So um, the, that kind of moved forward into my channel. And I have absolutely fallen in love with trying to kill big feral hogs with a bow and arrow. And they're dinosaurs. Compared to average animals, they just will eat your gear. And I just kept failing when I got the big ones in front of me. And big on our place is over 200. And I have a scale. So any clown out there who wants to say he shot a 300-pounder, I just want to get a scale. Because that's a humongous, humongous animal. Just think about how big you are at 220 pounds or whatever and add 80 pounds to that. Anyway, um, at one time I was about 30% effective on boars over 200. I started to, I shot enough of them and hung enough of them that I started to see them and say, okay, that's not big. That's not big. That's not big. Here comes big. And um, through that process, um, I just, I said, well, I've got every broadhead on the planet. I've shot seven different mechanicals. I've shot full metal jackets. I've shot everything but what Dr. Ashby does. And this is five or six years ago. Um, there was no information on why I wasn't just, I'm shooting 17 yards at a deer feeder. Okay, I got no excuses. I'm hitting them okay. I'm getting 12 or 14 inches of penetration on the big ones. You shoot the little 100-pounders all day and that you blow right through them. That's no big deal. But it's like hunting trophy whitetails. This became my thing. And I said, well, if what I'm doing is not really working, what the hell have I got to lose trying something crazy? I shot a pig. No, wait, 225, because I killed him with a 400-grain arrow with a schwacker at 17 yards with a 70-pound switchback, and it bounced off for all practical purposes right in the freaking shoulder. I mean, it was right where it's supposed to be, lower one-third, right on the crease. It hit and just stopped, and the pig turned, and it just it flew out. And I said, fine, I'm done. So I had been reading the Ashby stuff, start to snort the freaking <laughs> medicine. And I built a 670 grain arrow. I took the grizzly. I ground it down to what he said, which was he took him from inch and three sixteenths to an inch wide. You know, it's 23, 24% FOC. And the same pig came back two weeks later and he got freaking killed. And I, I just never went back. I buried it to the fletchings in him. I look out the window of the tent blind and I see dust. There was no tracking necessary. He went 60 yards I walked over there and he was down. And the only reason I know it's the same animal because I have cameras on him and stuff. And I said, okay, well, that that wasn't my normal experience on the big stuff. I killed a few with regular arrows, don't get me wrong. And I flat murdered some with mechanicals. Some when things went really right, it was amazing. I will not say this, and that's not true. We had paint can splotches on trees and just fantastic, right? And then the next two would be Right. What is that? So I started saying, well, if this is working for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start put, punching this out as an arrow effectiveness strategy. And then the ranch fairy piece, when I looked on Google, there's no ranch fairy. And of course, bow hunting is for tough guys and tight <laughs> t-shirts, big pipes, got the 80-pound draw weight, freaking muscled up, <laughs> flat brim. No flat brim here. <laughs> right. And um, I said, I'm going with it. You either climb Google by being awesome, which I wasn't. I knew I wasn't going to be that awesome because I'm going down a scientific path or you're unique. Nobody forgets it. So it, it was a good business decision. 
and I live in Austin, and I'm a maniac. And so, so talk to us a little bit about what is, um, so for for those people that don't know, who is Dr. Ashby, and uh, what does he say about arrows or whatever, and then how does that translate into uh, my heavy arrow for elk setup at 450 grains, 442 grains, yeah. versus that's a skeet load at at uh, you know 70 pounds or or whatever. Yep. Um, how, how does it translate? You know, what are what are we talking about here when we say a heavy arrow? 650. 650. That's the beginning of it. So, okay. um, Dr. Ashby did a 27-year study on arrow, only studying arrow effectiveness. He shot mostly stick bows because that's what he hunted with, but he didn't study bows. He didn't say this bow combined with this system. All he studied was impact. What happens at impact? He killed two rhinos with a bow. He shot one at seven feet. That would take some balls. <laughs> Absolutely. And numerous Asiatic buffaloes and stuff. And he was a professional hunter. And um, Yeah, Frank's over there. Yeah, yeah, Frank's got the balls. Yeah, Sack And Zilla. so <laughs> we got questions coming in too. <clears throat> <laughs> so he was actually commissioned by the Natal Game Board to study arrow effectiveness because most of Africa was closed in the 70s and 80s to bow hunting. People did it. <laughs> I might go to jail that you don't want to be in. But... It wasn't an open deal. So he was like the cutting edge of exploration for this. And for over 27 years, he studied everything. This is pre-carbon. FOC didn't really exist. Like there was no way to do that. There was no components to jack your FOC up. He was shooting 900-gram woodies with JB welding them, whatever he could do to get more mass. And... That corresponded to a 27-year study with massive charts and data on what is effective. And his final analysis is, it's got to be flying. There's a few things that people overlook. It's got to be flying perfect. It's got to shoot bullet holes. It's got to. you got to start there. Structural integrity is the next thing. If it collapses, bends, breaks, you're dead. And then from there, it works down to... Angle of attack of the broadhead, type of bevel, and all that stuff. So, if I think if Dr. Ashby was sitting here, he would say 650 plus grains, perfect flight, single bevel. That was the highest percentage setup in all situations when he was testing. 1,039 recorded shots. I mean, it's no database. There's nothing there in 30 and 27 years. So, it's pretty solid. We have just formed a new foundation where. I'm a board member of the Ashby Bowhunting Foundation. If you want to check our website out, it's ashbybowhunting.org. And uh, you'll be hearing more about us soon. We just, we just, you know, got put together. So when you're going to build this new arrow, so let's say um, for all intents and purposes, uh, maybe just for this podcast, we'll coin it the fairy dust. Okay. Um, you're going to snort the fairy <laughs> you're gonna dust? You're going to snort the fairy dust. And uh, you want to build this arrow. Um, you know, we kind of talked about this on the walk over here, and it's something that John, you know, he's the the tuning technical paper tuning guy. Yep. Um, how do you start that process? So let's say that I have a 70-pound bow with a 29-inch, 30-inch draw length. Yep. Where do I start, and what happens for that tuning? Because you, you said you don't do any uh, bow tuning. So what happens if my bow is not tuned or... How do I know if it's not tuned? And okay. then how do I, where do we build I'll just tell you what I've seen. I'm not a Bowtech by any, any stretch of the imagination. I've got guys at the shop who handle that for me. I just don't do it. Um, so if, what I tell this to 9,000 people a day, it seems like. I would buy two 300s, 
then two two fifties. Spine, arrows, cut to length, stock inserts. They just Ethics Archery just came out with a branch ferry test pack, and it's got 200, 225, 250, 275, and three hundred grain field points. I would shoot each individual field point through paper and see what flies the best. You'll be amazed. Often two of them do. I've seen guys shoot 200 grain points and 300s and they shoot bullet holes. I can't explain that. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. But you as the human are a part of the equation. You can't run your bow through a hooter shooter and then go shoot. It won't won't tune. And you can't shoot my bow. He can't shoot my bow and paper. You can't bear shaft my bow. It probably won't bear shaft for you. So what you're trying to find is this hand load where X spine plus X point weight is for you magic. That's the best way I've been able to find to do it. When I get emails in and people say it, nothing changes, it always goes left. That's a bow. That's the bow. I, something's out of whack. They said, I've moved the rest, everything. And it always goes the same direction. So something's wrong with the bow. Or they're gripping the piss out of me. Yeah. I'm not with them. It's hard to do this on the email, and you probably yeah, absolutely it's super hard to tune a bow with people like that. But when they're all over the place, one rips right, one rips left, and then all of a sudden, one just bullet hole. Believe it. I mean, just believe it and accept reality, because what you're trying to get is a perfect launch. And I have I'm 50, so I have I'm pre carbon. I'm old compared to most of the young bucks that I get to talk to. I shot aluminums with a bow that shot. I had a 10-yard pin, 2219, bare razor head. Guess what happened? Nothing stopped. We never left arrows and animals. We used to drive around in a neighborhood that I will not name and shoot deer that were, you know, it might have been a little dark. <laughs> and we, we, we didn't never expect to leave an arrow in an animal. I mean, we just, we'd shoot them and we'd go pick, we just, we'd go pick our arrow up and go find the deer. That was my experience in the old days, and I was shooting 600 whatever grain. I made money. So I got whatever arrows I could get, but they were massive. 150 grain broadhead, like a regular razor head was 145. Zwickies, you had to put an insert in. They were 200. So it evolves forward. I went lighter, and then I'm looking back on that. I wouldn't shoot 200 feet per second with my compound when I was a kid. They just weren't efficient. Round wheels that big. Nylon, you did now, you know, and we did not ever expect to leave an arrow in an animal. Old Fitzgerald never left arrows in animals, you know. I mean, he didn't, and he was shooting super heavy arrows, and he was one of the first video guys. Looks like Uncle Frank. They didn't. They shot string trackers, and and you'd see the arrow go through them, and there was two strings because arrows in the dirt. And the string's running through the animal's rib cage. And they run, just walk the string track out. So that's, you know, the goal. We need to get back to the pass-through. And so where does, um, you know, with, uh, you know, here being at the ATA show, everybody wants to sell you everything. Everything's the newest. Everything's yeah, the sure. fastest. Everything's the best. Where does speed fall into all of this? So, you know, uh, if you're, uh, I, f- I forget where it is, but like for, for, tuning and arrow flight and everything mm-hmm. you know for for us was somewhere in the neighborhood of 275 280 feet a yep. second for best you know arrow flight yep. how to you know when i'm building this arrow and i get it 
so it doesn't matter. So uh, if I have a 500 grain arrow and that's the one, you know, the 200 grain and it shoots a bullet, bullet hole. Holes. Sure. Do I need to go up? Is that enough? And what about speed? How does speed factor in? How does it change? It does it even come into the, the equation? The more I do this, the less it, it's not a factor. I'm shooting 760 grains and 28% right now. I'm shooting a 300 grain tough head on the front of a 250 rampage out of a 65 pound expedition. I don't know how fast it goes. I could probably outrun it. But when it hits stuff, I mean, it's, I just continue to be amazed. I should the old days, we didn't think about that. Back when we started, I wouldn't have thought about it, but now I've come back around and I just go, and it just, it just keeps pushing. Plus the broadheads are massively efficient. So, um, there's a little bit too much focus on that. You can open your pin gaps up and guess what? 50 yards is still 50 yards. If it arches a little more, the math hasn't changed. I need to get Big Mike to do this. So Big Mike Tanaka is one of my subscribers who's just helped me massively. He's the wizard. The man knows, seems to know everything. He shot a hundred yard, a uh, hundred yards through his chrono. So he shot it at, at launch and he shot it at a hundred and he shoots 83 and 31 inches. So anybody who's worried about speed, beat that guy, right? You're not, that's not fair being able to pull 30, 31. It's just fantastic because the draw cycle is so much longer. He's so much more velocity. Um, he said, he showed me the chart and a two, 450 grain arrow out of an 83 pound bow lost 40 feet per second in a hundred yards. So everybody's measuring their kinetic energy, which is, uh, don't want to talk about that <laughs> at, at launch at muzzle velocity. Okay. For gun guys, what the hell is it going to do when you're elk 62 yards out there? Mm-hmm. It's not fast enough to kill a rabbit. Nobody talks about that. He shot a thousand grain arrow. It lost ten feet per second. A one thousand eighty-three grain arrow lost ten feet per second. Now the launch speed's slower, but at impact, it was still moving. Right, it's carrying speed. For- it was carrying speed. <clears throat> carrying its momentum, all that. But what kind of pin gap did he have at that? Point? I mean, could. Oh, he has t- he has tapes out to like one thirty for his bow. Right, and, he's the he, wizard. But he could still hit it. I mean, he could. He still had enough window. He did. Without it. You he just was. start your you just start your pins at thirty five or forty, roll them out. Yeah, if so I was elk hunting, I wouldn't even put a twenty yard pin on there. So you're moving your your sight window. Sure. Up. He just changes the tape and launches it out there. He yeah, does that, his stuff that all the time. Had to been yeah. real, yeah. right? Because that's close. I mean, like my my setup right now. I'm shooting. It's eighty pounds, 80, 80 81. 31 inch draw. Yep. And and my arrow right now is like 560. It's not quite 600. Yep. But, and my sight tape, I can run it out to, yeah, it's over probably 130. Yeah, sure. But I mean, not that I'm going to shoot at anything 130 or 100, but I just enjoy shooting that far. It's super fun. It's just fun to watch it just. Yeah, well, that's like, you know, I, sh- I try to shoot every day. And so, I mean, when you're shooting 20 yards, you get bored. 30 yards, you get bored. Yep. 40. Yep. I mean, you go back out to 100. I, like at my house, I'm standing on the edge of the road shooting up my hill, and it's, what, 109. And, <laughs> but then when you walk up to 50 or 40, now you're punching. Yeah. It, you, it just looks like you're standing on it. Right. Yeah, so, sure. I agree with that. I agree live. with that theory. I mean, Unless uh, you're going live. Yeah. John put one over the hill. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> you got to adjust your tape. 
He got a little excited. <laughs> got a little, yeah. We had <laughs> That's <some>. awesome. <laughs> yeah, guys, let's go live. Watch this. I'm like, I hope I don't put it over the hill. Over the hill. Yeah. You got to adjust your sight, you know. Yeah. Well, it was adjusted. <laughs> I just jerked it off. <laughs> it happens. It happens. That's a great way to put it. Like John's setup in these, uh, when you're you're shooting, the, the one thing that I noticed with his is that if you, uh, especially when we were up at the Total Archery Challenge, it was the most uh, apparent. But shooting those heavy arrows and you don't hit the target or whatever, they're just gone into the uh, dirt, into everything. I mean, that, that's one of the things that I was like, oh, my gosh, as far as the momentum, you know, you shoot a... It, you know, one of my arrows in there, I can see the fletchings. I can find yep. it. His yep. are gone forever. And you'll see the targets. When you get over 650, you'll see the targets shake. I've knocked deer targets over with 700, shooting with my friends. And um, that's where the rubber meets the road. It doesn't matter how the arrow gets to the animal. It matters what happens at impact. And nobody talks about that. It's all about, the, it's, it's a target-based world. A lot of the pros are spot shooters who were the best in the world. They become bow hunters and get a, get a show. I don't care. That's fine. But they're target guys. Nobody talks. They, they assume everything's going to penetrate at impact. We're not seeing that. Just go watch television. You smoked him. I got eight inches of penetration. 22-yard 20, shot. If it's dead, it's fine. But... There's a lot of upside to a complete pass through, super sharp, and they don't run. They don't know they're hit. They run over there. They fall down. It's way cooler because um, I don't know how many of you guys have gusher blood trails every single time, but apparently the rest of the world does. This has not been my experience, yeah. right? It, it's rather unpredictable. There's a lot of factors there, like the muscles move around. There's there's interstitial tissue that covers the holes. All kind of facts nobody wants to talk about. I had a human cadaver for six months. I'm a respiratory therapist. I actually handled human lungs and hearts. I know a little bit about this stuff. There's a lot of parts moving around there that I, kill the blood trail or possibilities of it. So if you shoot right through them and they run 60 and you see them go down, it's way cooler. Yeah, then you got guys like, well, what was the blood trail? I don't care. I He's well, that's, right there. that's what I've started telling people is your backup position should be blood, I think. Well, and that's that's one of the things like where, like this year I said, I mean, we talked about it. Like I shot this deer with the, the tooth of the arrow, shot two deer with them last year, and they both fell over within 50 yards. There you go. And one of them I shot in water, so there was no way to tell that's correct. if there was a good blood trail. I mean, I saw yep. blood, I saw the deer fall over. Yep. The other one, there was no blood trail. And I watched him fall over in the arrow. Yep. I didn't get a pass through, but I shot him between the shoulder blades. Yep. Now, on an anecdotal side of it, Tooth of the Arrow is the greatest broadhead ever because I shot three deer and they both died. Or, you know, all three of them shot. They died within 100 yards. I watched two of them fall. Right. But in reality, what happens when, you know, you hit them bad or, or, or something like that? It, broadheads are the most, I don't know polarizing thing to talk about because they're either the greatest broadhead in the world until they're not. That's correct. And I think people think that with the bigger mechanical it gives you more um, leeway. You, you can make a bad shot and you're going to kill them. But it seems like talking with dog trackers and other things like that every single gut shot is going to kill them. Um, but it's just how efficiently how ethically are you you know taking this animal's life you know you, you've 
often forget about the that. The comments y'all had from the dog trackers were interesting, and they matched with United Blood Trackers. I talked to the lady who runs that organization, and they said, we just pray. We, I got shot at. Awesome. Give me 12. I'll be there. I'll find that deer. No problem. They don't even ask what they shot him with. They're hoping they shot him with a mechanical in the guts if they've made a bad shot. Yeah. But the most common thing, and I heard it from that guy y'all asked, so what's the most common thing you hear? Bonk. High shoulder hits. That's, that's a deer jumping. So for all of you shot placement guys out there who have been sold this shot placement thing, the deers move. I don't know how you're going to fix that. You shot where you were aiming. It's kind of the reverse of golf. When you get a hole in one, that's what you were trying to do. You shouldn't be celebrating. You just got to, yeah, that's perfect. That's what I was trying to do, right? When you, I don't think, I don't think people are that sloppy. I don't think, I think people practice. I think people try. I think a high percentage of bow hunters actually are pretty decent shots at a target that's the size of a basketball. But the deer changed the game. And the blood trailer guys are like, high shoulder hit, not, I'm not coming. Thanks. You won't find it. It's going to be fine. There's a lot of blood. Yeah, I know. See ya. And what we're trying to do with these, you can't fix that. You will never control the animals. So on video, I have 100% shot jumps. I haven't had one stand still yet. And I've had three shoot forward. Those are pigs. Doesn't matter. Mostly they roll. So what they present you is they, they pull their impact shoulder down and they roll away from you, which turns their, tilts their lungs, and at best you one lung them. And then they present this, the shoulder blade into you. But I had three shoot forward. How am I supposed to predict that? They just, they just, and it was a, my arrow at launch is per, you can see the lighted knock, and then they move, and it's seven inches back. Yeah, so much for shot placement, right? I was pretty good. Stupid. Not 3D. <laughs> so that's why we're trying to spread the word about the possibility of shooting uh, more of an adult setup with, you know, better, more sturdy broadheads. So when things don't go your way, when they stand still and you zing them, they're dead. They're going to run right over there and fall down. When they don't, you got a chance. If you go over 650, you got a hell of a chance. I've started abusing the pigs. I shoot them right, in the fr- right there. I just aim for spine. Block. 14 inches of penetration. No more. I don't have to go chasing through the woods. You know? It's annoying. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to keep testing on that. Every time, I, every time I pull back and lower, and lower my arrow weight and go to a double bevel head, I, it, it, I see it, it. It fails. Almost every time. And so with that, what are you using for, what's a recommended broadhead once you've figured out your weight? How are you getting the weight up front for this setup once you've shot a, a 300 grain uh, field point with a standard insert? Um, are we putting all the weight, because I've seen some of your videos which have some ridiculously heavy I've got 600 grain broadheads. Yeah. They're outstanding. Oh, they're so much fun to shoot. Not very fast. No, but, <laughs> but nothing stops. You'll two pigs with it, and they just go, boom, 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 and they go in the mud. And so, like, uh, you know, for our listeners, the yep. more uh, practical guy, we'll say. <laughs> <laughs> I push the limits a little bit. Um, you know, are, are they saying, all right, well, Troy said, now we have to go get a 300-grain broadhead. 
or what components are you using? Are you using footers? I mean, if you if you use just a 200 grain, 250 grain broadhead, are you seeing any problems with those arrows snapping because of all of your weights up front or anything like that? No, actually, what happens is um, the 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 weight somewhere around 19 to 20 percent FOC, the weight starts pulling the shaft. It overwhelms the arrow. So everybody's hit a nail with a hammer. So if you're shooting under 15% FOC, that arrow is pushing the broadhead. And classically, that's how everybody mentally gets it. If you hit that nail and it gets a little wonky, it goes sideways or bends. And the impact paradox is outstanding. If anybody, one video everybody needs to see on the Ranch Radio channel, look for my impact paradox video. It shows shows arrows of a normal 10% hitting and the shaft is going like this at impact because it's pushing. But the arrow, but the but the broadhead's slowing down because it's hit something hard. Right. And then I shot a 1,035 grain arrow with at about 30%, and it just goes whack, and it doesn't vibrate at all. And that's the point overwhelming the shaft. So to answer your question, let's just say you get the ranch ferry test back, and a 250 grain point is magic. You have a lot of choices here. A lot of people have 125 grain points. You could sure go get a VPA or a cutthroat or a tough head and get a 250 grain single bevel. And run them into your stock inserts. And I don't think, I've, I've done it. It's, it. I haven't had any failures. You can go to ethics. You can get brass. You can go to ethics and get all kind of insert weights. And they're just reverse engineer the system. So you can put a 150 grain insert in and put a 100 grain point. It's The world's your oyster from there. They've got cuttable inserts. You can really hyper tune them. And then um, you get that. The goal is to get your FOC over 20%. I don't really care what your total arrow weight is. And then that point starts overwhelming the shaft and pulls it through the air and the whole shaft becomes fletching. The arrow flight is, the arrow flight's unbelievable. The groups, my groups just suck down. Well, it's real funny that you say that because how many arrows did I break at the total archery challenge last year? Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most of them. Well, and like you were, we were saying on the walk over here, it's like everybody's the greatest shot in the world when you're trying to shoot at a basketball, but you're afraid of the the front shoulder. Yeah. Well, I broke half a dozen ten arrows or something. They were tough shots, but most of my arrows broke from whipping. They the knock end broke from hitting paradox. a tree. Yeah. From or you exactly. hit a tree. Well, you hit the That's target. I hit the target. Hit the target. Then the the the. the, the the, the tail whipped proves my and point. hit the tree. Yeah. yeah, and so when you're saying that, I'm going, well, that happened to me about 50 times last year. No, think about this. So you've just proven impact paradox. Drop a mechanical in front of that. Have it hit and deploy erratically. So it hits. This blade opens because it's going at an angle. This blade's still shut because it's not open. This one slams open. The bro- It goes like this, and it goes like that. You can't see it. It happens so fast. That's why you have these wounds this long. Those mechanicals hit and they rotate on a radius and they go around a curve and they they, they really kind of boomerang in. There's no other explanation. This hide doesn't stretch that far. So you, you've you proven it. So the, the knock breaks are real common. That's an impact paradox issue. The, you, you don't see it or you're used to it. That shaft hits and it it's wobbling like a metronome. That's going to happen on animals. Well, guess what? It's going to hit the tissues it's all resistance. And we're not seeing that with the 20% plus stuff. It's the, the paradox goes down. So uh, in your testing and kind of what you're doing, um, 
with uh, FOC, total air weights. Are you testing total air weights with mechanicals as well? Not anymore. Okay. But um, in the in the beginning or in, in the data from the Ashby or the... the he broke the, everything. So they were completely waste of time. You're shooting buffaloes. Okay. Nobody responsible would go buffalo hunting with a freaking mechanical. You're talking about a seven or eight inches of penetration through the chest wall, plus three quarter inch thick ribs that are spacings about this wide. I can't wait to shoot mechanicals at them when we get over there. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. I'm going to have blades blowing off. It's, we're not going to probably do much with it. We're okay. actually going to try to see. We're not going to try to destroy the the, the uh, broadhead world. We're going to try. We're still going to try to find the best thing. And we'll probably snap a few off, and there's no reason to keep doing it. So then as far as broadheads go, when you're talking about um, the best um, consumer-friendly, uh, all of the different things, so what are you looking for in a broadhead? Because we talked about, um, what did you say, angle of attack? Sure. Um, and everybody wants, I mean, that's the, the key to your mechanicals right as you have a, a larger cutting diameter sure. that's absolutely that's and when they work it's great everybody. so yep. when you're si seeing a single bevel that's wider um or you know where what is the best or what should you look for in a broadhead going that route so i look for steel i look for the metal whatever the blades to be greater than 0.06 that's my first thing i look at we're seeing some. We're seeing some in the testing. We're seeing some of this tissue stretch and seeing the holes open up on two blades with thicker steel. It's really weird. I didn't think that that would correlate, but like the old Zwickies aren't very thick. They're 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 relatively thin, and the bare razor head's not real thick. And they're more of a slit. But when you get a fatter blade, I don't know what that is. And then the single bevels, um, they're all you know point oh six tough heads point oh nine. The 600 is like 1.3. I mean, <laughs> it's massive. It's fun to handle. And uh, they rotate on impact. So they leave what we call the drain plug. It's like a smiley face, literally a smiley face in the side of them. And usually we get about a half a turn. So if it hits this way, it'll be, it'll have rotated fully. You know, you'll see it. It won't be perfect, but 16 inches or so. So that's my first step. And then I'm looking for a low angle of attack. So I'm looking for a longer, thinner, tough head style, one to three. I've done very well with like the Magnus Stinger angle of attack kind of deal. The, I, I'm a big fan of the Stinger. I'm a big fan of Mike Somm's stuff. If you're a deer hunter, that freaking Black Hornet is absolutely devastating on a proper arrow. It's a really, really good head for deer. Um, I've killed a lot of stuff with that Stinger. and um, But it's you see this angle of attack like that as opposed to very open blades you and i were discussing this when we were eating so <clears throat> what i think happens i'm gonna cut up i'm gonna cut the shoulder blade i'm gonna cut the rib cage off of a pig and shoot through it and try to test this for blade integrity just one side of a rib cage i could shoot it 20 times you know i could just move around it like a target but the ribs will be there in the hair i think the blades are getting damaged beyond effectiveness on impact Elk have very thick hair. I've never been around an elk. My son shot one this year, and that was the first time I put my hands on an elk. They're big. I mean, the hairs, they're big, man. I mean, like big. And I went, oh, my God. Some of these guys out there flinging 300 grain arrows at these things. It's just a big damn animal. And I think the – so when you're sword fighting in the movies, 
in the 300 where everybody's naked and running around, they're all tan. No uh, idiot is holding his sword like this and running. It doesn't work. Like, if I hit you like that, you're going to just, I'm done. So what happens uh, with very aggressive blade angles and the mechanicals that are just getting wider and flatter is the blade itself is hitting bone flat. It's not designed for that. It's flattening. And I, I believe they drag down the rib before they cut it and just get destroyed. And at some level, they're shredded and maybe that'll help. But when I shoot tough heads or cutthroats or whatever through a pig, you pick it up, you can shave it. You shoot right through them, pick it up out of the dirt, and you can shave hair off your arm. I need to. I just need to test that. It's not really a fair assumption. It's just what I've seen. You said your toothy arrow was not really bashing them. It was shredded. There's a couple of broadheads that guys have tried to make single levels to get in the price points in the 60s on good single levels. So somebody tried to carve in under that and get $39 not to be named broadheads that hit a bone and the blades were absolutely gone. I called them and they said they were pissed off at me for reporting this. And I sent them a picture and I said, not appropriate. If you're going to come out with a single bevel broadhead, it better be able to, that. Everybody says it's bone smashing broadhead. It better be able to do that <laughs> kind of figure. I've got a picture of one that's just absolutely destroyed. Not acceptable. Do we know if that happened before or after? I don't. But it scares me to think that it, at impact, the broadhead was flattened and destroyed. And at my background, pulmonary tissue is pretty mobile. Arteries are semi-muscular. Your, your arterial system functions and reacts to your blood pressure and the way you're moving around by becoming larger and smaller as you move. I've done arterial sticks, right? You stick a needle right in here to pull blood gases out of people so you need arterial blood not the blue stuff the red stuff so you can check blood gases see what how somebody's pulmonary condition is and the damn artery rolls people hate you <laughs> when you got to re-stick them and don't let me do it to you because i'm not practiced <laughs> but it sits right here in between your ligament and it looks like it's sitting still and you'll you'll go in and, and you'll see it just roll out of the way and you got to back out and say sorry <laughs> again well, this could happen if the blades are damaged at impact in the first four to six inches. Let's say we got a decent-sized Iowa whitetail. That's nothing. Four to six inches of stuff and winter hair. And it enters the chest wall into the thoracic cavity, and all the arteries move around it. All you have is a dull hole in lungs. Not acceptable. Not if you want to get a deer. If you want to go green hunting, yeah. Just shoot them and let them run off and keep shooting them. That's pretty irresponsible. But you just miss them a couple times. Yeah, right. Frank. Or get some paintballs. You know, <laughs> get one of them big deals and shoot them with paintballs. But it's it's a problem. One of the things that you know you talked about the rotation with the single bevels. How does that fall into play as far as uh, any sort of tuning or fletching? Do you have to have a fletching helical one way? If you're shooting left-handed, do you need a left hand, right hand? You just need to match the bevel to the rotation. I should. Just I shoot straight veins, and then when I, feathers can't be cured, they're either right or left. They're they're curved because the birds are curved, right? So if you, even if you fletch them straight, they're going to rotate. So you need to know if you got a right wing feather, and it sh- needs to match the bevel. Is the general consensus? Doctor Ashby believes if we could get it to hit absolutely no spin at all, that would help the bevels really. When they hit, they would really torque. Uh, but it's not 
possible to really kind of stop it. I I on, honestly think the gyroscopic effect of the Earth makes your shaft fly, rotate in the air. Whew, getting off the grid there, bro. <laughs> well, I, it was funny because I was just talking to somebody like they, they were asking me about the what is it, the Coriolis effect? Well, that's yeah. thousand yards well, of the rifle, right? But they were saying that well, that's curvature of the Earth and gravity, right? So they were like, "That does that come into play with archery?" And I'm like, "Well, no." But then when you're saying, "Oh, wait a minute," <laughs> well, the atmosphere is moving, mm-hmm. so at some level it's going to be um, rotating, and that's a, another thing that a lot of people don't ponder. The current atmospheric pressure at sea level is 14.7 psi. You are shooting through fog all the time. Just kind of mentally understand that, and that's why if you have an arrow that's out of tune, your broadhead is going to catch the fog. And it's going to take off. You're, you're, if we were in a vacuum, we'd be dead. Pretty straightforward. If you were in a vacuum, your, bra- your arrows would never drop. And that would be kick-ass because we could shoot way out there. They wouldn't slow down either. <laughs> yeah, we could shoot into the, out of the yeah, spaceship. We would shoot two miles and kill an elk all day long. But we wouldn't be alive. It's kind of tough to breathe in a vacuum. We wouldn't have to hit them to kill them. Right. They'd be dead. <laughs> 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 Yeah, a gyroscopic effect. Nobody thought that was coming up in the old podcast. Well, and like I said, that's just not you know something that you normally would would think about when in terms of archery. I mean, maybe nope. John does. He sits there and ponders it because he's saying, "Yeah, in a vacuum, you could shoot." Yeah, because that's the way that he. I've heard people say that. Um, I think Dudley, and I'm not. I don't really follow anybody. I think Dudley did a video where he said that some of his arrows rotate left or right. I don't know if he's him or Levi. I'm not really promoting them. I don't really care, but I get a lot of questions about it. And um, people are like, well, they said, you know, they shoot left veins for the ones that go left and right veins for the ones that go right. And I think those are unnocked arrows. I think that they are rotating to their heavy side. I think that's what that is, but I'm not a pro archer. It's total theory, but I think veins overwhelm all that. I, 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 I don't think it matters. What do you think about that, Bowman? Yeah, I, I haven't heard that, but. Well, then Dudley didn't say it because John's watched all of his videos. No, I haven't. I've watched a lot of them, but I, but I mean, yeah, I mean, you used to be able to get like saying left or right feathers and stuff. I used to shoot feathers and the veins. Now, I mean, I shoot, I shoot a right helical. Sure. But I mean, just because of, I mean, just like the rifling in a barrel of a gun, it's going to be more stable. Yeah. I shoot a little bit of helical as well. I don't shoot offset or anything. I don't. Th- I don't think any of it matters. I've shot straight. I've shot. I shoot veins. My I shoot Q two I fusion one point seven fives, the little tiny ones, and shoot six hundred grains up front. They fly fine. But that's bare shaft. Not every arrow, knock tuned. Every arrow marked, cleared, squared. It takes me thirty five minutes to make one arrow or more. I hate doing it. Oh, God, my ADD just goes off the charts. <laughs> Arrow two. Oh, can I do something else? Go fishing? <laughs> <laughs> and so with broadheads, you know, we, we talked about um, what happens with uh, not tuned broadheads or broadheads that uh, don't uh, fly exactly right or that are uh, malformed or something like that. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, sharpness on the way over here. Yep. And single bevel versus double bevel versus um, some of the interrupted ones that you were talking about. Yep. Um, so where does that come into effect? You know, I, I had referenced, you know, whenever you listen to anything about traditional archery, you know, those guys are talking about meticulously sharpening every single broadhead yep. until it's scary sharp. Like, and they, they say that there's not one that's come out of a package anywhere that they've 
Correct. You know, um, and you said when you um, have a sharper broadhead, you've seen much different results than correct the other way. So, what are your recommendations on that, and how does the the actual sharpness ver- out of the package broadhead versus you know scary sharp? The only three heads I've handled out of the package that will cut paper. So just to pick up a piece of paper and literally just cut little just ch- 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 cut little sections off that are absolutely terrifying are German Kinetics, Iron Wheel, and Tough Head. Right out of the pack. They come out of the box, and you can just take them and shave freaking paper. Everything else is close, and I touch up everything. Five years ago, no. I thought they were sharp. The guys know what they're doing. They're broadhead manufacturers. Everything's fine. Until I learned how to sharpen a broadhead. So this goes back to the erosion of the blades. I was talking about shooting through animals. What's your starting point? <laughs> and then what's the, what's the arrow look like six inches later going 270? That's a lot of, it's a lot of impact. There's a lot of things working against steel. And so I touch them up. That's, that's my acceptable level. It's, it'll shave. And then my next check is on paper. I can't hear it chip or skip if you can cut paper and you'll hear tick, 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 it's not there yet it needs to just i mean and not push or anything it needs to just come off and once i started doing that what happens animals were just really going very short distances it was noticeable compared to just pulling them out of the pack and messing you, with and you were saying that they don't even act like they're hit like they don't even yeah it's real common if you get a chest shot that they just kind of jump and kind of run over there the ways and then they they run, but they don't run, run. I mean, they just kind of run off and they fall down. Um, but they're not booking it. Now, the best thing in the world to see, I aim when I'm getting uh, my perfect shot on the pig is quartering away and I try to anchor it in this offside shoulder or break the shoulder. My favorite thing to see is the opposite arm goes up and when they run, their ass is going sideways like a bad uh, fire truck steering guy back there. <laughs> if you see that, you got them. They go 60, man. Their ass is swinging. They're like, <laughs> it's awesome. So I've gotten a little bit evil on the quartering away shot. I usually have the, so the people say, well, now you're, now you're saying you'll get past there's, um On the opposite side, everything expands away from the shaft and it's pinching down. The impact side's flexing in and will pop open a little bit. The exit side opens and it's dragging. And it's through heavy bones and stuff on the opposite side is tough. I hit one in the mandibular process with the dick dick bow. And that's my 43-pound kid bow project I did. 680 grainer with a tough head on the front. And I shot that big quartering away. And I hit the back of the jawbone. And it bounced back like six inches inside of him. And when he left, his ass was going sideways. When I, sh- I shot him and I was like, oh, he's so dead. And he was almost going like that going into the woods. That's been a fun bow to shoot. 43 pounds is fantastic. It's 600 grains. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's kind of funny. It reminds me of, you know, it, it's, it's I don't know, maybe it is 43 pounds, but when you were shooting Jets bow, when you were shooting with the turkey heads, yeah. you were like, I, you know, this one, this bow is fun. It's really fun to you're, shoot. You're not <laughs> holding, you know. 14 pounds. Right. My next bow will probably be 55. I'll just, no, I won't worry about it. It just doesn't matter anymore. We get the aero system right, and it does okay. And, and so when we talk about, you know, um, iron wheel broadheads or, or things like that being 150 bucks for yep. for three broadheads, and then 
you know, as you go down, uh, you work with and, and kind of are, are, um, I don't know, promote or, or whatever with, uh, with Magnus. Yep. I'm here with Magnus at ATA this year. And they're yep. double bevel heads. Yep. Right. Yep. And so if, uh, single bevel is the standard, what's, you know, Magnus, you know, so that's my, that's, there's two things going on there. There's a, it's a price point issue and there's what you're doing issue. If you're going after elk, I really think you should go up to a single bevel or a, or a one piece double bevel, like a VPA, something that's a hammer, excuse me. <clears throat> but the Magnus stuff for most of the deer hunters I talk to is truly fantastic. It's a great price point. Mike does a great job. He backs them up like nobody in the industry. My first interaction with Mike on that was about seven or eight years ago. I shot a fence post and I sent him a letter with the broadhead and said, I know you have a lifetime warranty and this is ridiculous, but I shot a metal fence post. His reply was another broadhead. <laughs> he didn't send a note. It just a week later, another stinger showed up and I've had a relationship with him forever. I'm a big fan of the buzz cut and the, that feature with the interruptions in the blades. I think it overcomes people who don't touch up the blades I've, we've had ridiculous kind of wounds and I call it the foamer. When I shoot them, when the people shoot them at the Hornet, those pigs have foam balls on their sides. So it's doing something extra. It's nasty. And then, you know, you move up, you can get single bevels from grizzly stick, cutthroats are about 50 bucks for three. Um, and then iron wheels are at a hundred and you can just spend as much money as you want. I just got to take into effect everybody's how much money they want to spend. You know, you can buy a Maserati if you want. Right. They sell them. What's your budget? Yeah, that's right. And so <laughs> I tried to find a, an array of heads that I've approved, whatever, but it still fits people's ability to pay for things like kids and diapers and I have two kids in college. You know, that, that kind of stuff. It's annoying. So um, I just try to be fair. And that's why I'm demonetized. That's why I don't have any sponsors that pay me anything. I don't give a crap. I can do whatever I want. I can tell you you know, I'm just going to tell you what I think and try to help people. I get seven, ten emails a day trying to help people do stuff. So it gives me an array of price point stuff, stuff I trust. What are you hunting? And if you're going to go to Africa or something, you should not cheapskate your arrows. Shoot a $200 bow with a decent drop away. Don't impress your friends and shoot a 650 grain arrow with real broad heads. <laughs> Yeah. I've been amazed that damn dick dick bow shooting a whisker biscuit at 43 pounds will shoot it's it will shoot a 250 spine pierce with a 315 grain nanook forged head on it darts I can't explain it now you got to hold up the arrow because it'll go down in the whiskers <laughs> right. so you got to hold the arrow up draw it gently set it on the biscuit and then shoot it so it takes a little bit of you know shenanigans <laughs> But it shoots a 250 spine arrow like a dart. And then it shoots a 400 spine gold tip with 400 grains up front like a dart. Really? Yeah. I couldn't believe that the Pierces shot that well, but I got 300s and 250s and they just little tiny four fletch, little tiny fletchings. And that Nanook is up. They don't make it anymore. Such a killer head. So we talked about that buzz cut a little bit while we were eating and uh it's pretty interesting you said with like the interrupter it's an interruption yeah and so it's you know i said it's kind of like serrated and you said no 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 no. so uh can you talk a little bit about that and like because one of the questions i asked was 
with the double bevels, are you even sharpening those? Are you are you touching those up every time? And how does it work? So can you explain yeah. a little bit about I mean, that? So you've even made your own interrupters, haven't you? I'm cutting them into my into yeah. my single bevels. Yeah, yeah. Just experimenting with that. I can't prove that it's doing anything. I've seen it on the. But does it have the interruptions in it, or is it the straight one? Okay. Yeah, I I I like the interruptions. So, um, in, Mike and I talked about. I called Mike and I said, "What did you try to do with the buzz cut?" what's the interruptions in there? So if you look at it very closely, which I've magnified it, in between each interruption, the blade is flat. So you can still sharpen it like a traditional broadhead. It doesn't have points. Serrated knives are impossible to sharpen. They're just throw away, right? Um, so what he did was he, he, he cut U-shaped cuts down into the actual blade, and then there's a little about a quarter inch of straight steel, and, that, 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 and there's four or five of them. And um, what I found was, I think the tissue goes in those, this. the stuff that kills them. I couldn't care less about hair and all that. This is, I'm talking post-thoracic breach, so thoracic. So once you get through the first, once you get through the rib cage, I'm seeing the damage. Some of the damage is unbelievable in the lung tissue. And it gets in there and just shreds. The stuff that kills animals. It survives impact. So let's just say you blunt a bone and the flat gets ruined. Those chisels are still sharp in the curve and they sharpen when you sharpen them. I asked Mike what he was doing with that. And he said their initial thought was they were trying to lengthen the blade but keep the profile the same. And he did it. So those interruptions are long because they're U-shaped. And I said, okay, that's great, except... Those five things can never hit a bone. And he said, I never thought about that. It will, no bone will get in that. It will just bounce across the flat. And then once it gets into pulmonary tissue, which is the worst case, the main blade's flattened, let's just say. Those are still there to do some damage. You, you got like this backup plan. We've had great results. I've got a dozen of them. I sit around and whatever clown shows up with my nephew's and it's like, bring your stuff over here. Nope, that ain't going out. You're not wounding my pigs today. <laughs> here's the stinger, or here's my arrows. You can pick your poison. <laughs> so I've cut some into single bevels, and my theory on that is that the rotation will wind it up, which we know they they actually get in there, and, and the tissues wind around the head, and then the interruptions are there, and it's just going to be a much Blender. longer. I can't see it. I've... I, I, the results are basically the same. I mean, when you hit them right and the thing is sharp, they die. It's fun. They just look nasty. So I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> they look, they're so fun. And, I mean, that's really cool. It's, it's something that I didn't even, like, think about. I just think, like, oh, it's serrated or, like, whatever. Yeah, I mean, sure. You look at the, you know, cold steel makes a plastic broadhead that's, like. I've got one. I need to break one on Asiatic Buffalo. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I mean, that's the. You, I think of it like, that is serrated. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. That's got like, these I, I, slopes and tips. I see that, and I think serrated. And yep. I would, uh, automatically, and those tips are going to break off. I, I look at the both of those in the same vein, and so for you to explain it as being much different, or you know, for well, I come at it from a different angle because I, I, I said this earlier. I couldn't care less about getting it there. All I care about is getting it through them. I don't care. You can talk all the trash you want getting the arrow from the freaking 
can get your orange strings that match your orange riser and make you look pretty and wear kuyu and get your little outfits that all match. And I don't care about any of that crap. All I am concerned about is that impact, what happens. And what I was seeing was these, the, the buzz cut feature was breaching the thoracic wall, which we discussed earlier, tears up a bunch of broadheads, especially with the stuff I shoot covered in mud. Some of them are literally, there's a solid plate of mud on the side of them. Tell me that's good for steel, right? If you were cleaning him, you'd clean it off. Or use the Sawzall, they're real handy. <laughs> Sawzall, a lot of them. Once it breaches the ribs, it's got to be sharp. And those little things, it's been my experience that they they do very well. And so all of this is, is good. And you've got to, you know, you have an opportunity to kind of shoot as many animals like live targets as, yep. as possible. Yep. Um, I know, um, like you said earlier, everybody in this room is the best shot ever. Yeah, of course. But, and we are bad. We're good. I mean, we're not bad shots. But but what happens with these uh, single bevels and heavy arrows and all that stuff when things go wrong? So do you have data on the gut shots or, you know, just bad hits, unfortunate events, you know, whatever? And are we talking about the same thing as you would with a, with a whitetail that's gut shot with a, you know, they we're not somewhere. there yet. I have a database that I collected of 411 shots I collected from subscribers. I have 120 people who, who sent in kills and I'm going to do a kind of a, I'm going to do a video white paper on my results on it's going to have mechanical versus fixed. It's going to have FOC and da, da, da. One of the things that is just jumping off the page is the high FOC rigid heads. The losses are down in di- single digits. My total wound loss rate for 411 shots is 83% effectiveness. And people are liars. I think it's 60. I asked, To be fair, I asked for kill shots. I wanted data on, de- on the dead ones. And then I started looking back, and the losses are what I should be asking for. Right. I, I want to know what, why, and it's, it's what Ashby said. Under it's lack of penetration, it leans like seventy five percent to no penetration. Is the most often lost animal. I had a guy just lose a mule deer shooting six hundred five eighty or something. He cut the leg off with a cutthroat. Thirty. He misjudged the range by eight yards. Anybody could do that. It's coming at him, high stress, blowing a grunt call. It's coming, coming, coming. Boom! Turned it loose, and he said he saw something. And he said it was running kind of weird. And he went over there and the leg was on the ground. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so w- w- where I'm going with that is when I moved up, when things go wrong, I have a chance. And I've rolled a bunch of them. So I've had them bounce or drop and they're down. I may have to, on video, not show that I had to jump them. <laughs> right? You go out there and grab them by the legs and jump on them. They're not hard to handle once they're on the ground, even when they're squealing and stuff. But you got them. So if I'm a Midwest whitetail hunter, or you got the public landowner shirt here, and y'all are with te- here with tethered and talking to those guys, you're hanging in a tree, you walked in, God knows how far. Tell me you can pick your shot angle. Okay. You're a liar if you say you can pick your shot angle. It's got to get an arrow. You in can them. you can choose to not take shots that are happy that you're happy with. I'm totally good with ethical people saying I. That's irresponsible. And they let down and let them go. 
great. You're like good. That's a good person. But most people hike in two miles. Well, I hope this works. They got a hard courting two shot. They shoot them in the guts and they hope. You don't have that much to worry about if you will, but you have to do all of it. You got to, you need to go 600. You need a single bevel. You can't cheat. You can't cheat. You need the whole system. And then you can start crowding in on that shoulder and breaking stuff. And if I was, if I was doing what y'all do, I'd be shooting 700 grains and I'd be shooting what I shoot now. I would keep my shots under 25 yards, maybe 30, and I would break them. And I would, I would actually, if they're quartering to me, I would try to just put them right there. But it's, you don't get like, like in Texas, you got deer feeders and stuff. We, you go out there and you gas ass around, 20 deer show up, you know, you're in your pit blind, drinking coffee or whatever. Not that that ever happens. <laughs> and they leave. Y'all don't have that opportunity. I mean, I told the hunting public guys today the same thing. You get your chance. You see three deer or seven, and they gave you what you got. So to the hunter who, like I said, doesn't want to take the shot because they're super ethical, I'm good. Great. I mean, I think that's the right thing to do. If you're gonna if you're gonna risk it, come on, call the ranch fairy. <laughs> I'll send you some freaking magic fairy dust, and we'll work on that. I think that's uh that's right up your alley, uh, Adam. What's that? Just get an arrow in them. Yeah. Shoot them wherever. Shoot yeah, them just shoot the, them anywhere, shoot, and just hope to God. Shoot them in the neck. You know. Yeah, that's I thought my, he that's shot them in shot. the horns. I, oh. <laughs> so the deer you shot, right? Uh, you've described this white-tailed deer 150 inches whatever the one that you said okay well i'm gonna go after pigs now yeah i shot that deer quartering to me in a public land ohio yeah i think I, we've talked about this yeah messed up on him yeah uh messed up on another one earlier in the year because i didn't shoot him in the throat and that's yep. the only shot that i had yeah giant expandable broadhead shot this deer no, you shot him I, I, well, I shot at the other one uh-huh. uh, but i waited for a broadside shot okay and uh arrow exploded hit a tree now fast forward a month i'm in ohio same scenario bigger deer biggest deer i've ever seen in my wow. life shot him in the throat well i thought i shot him in the throat hit him in the neck going down into the cavity single lung shot he turns and runs away and i thought i torched him no i thought i shot him in the antler i thought i shot him in the face because the arrow was sticking out next to his horns. His horns are sticking out this way. And his the, my fletching is just swinging around. It went like this and turned? When I shot, he ducked a little bit. It went right here in his neck. And now the arrow's sticking out right next to his antler. Okay. And he's running away. And I'm going, I shot him in the face. Like, I shot yeah, right. him in the face. Yep. And uh, we had blood everywhere for a while. Yep. And Pretty then common. Nothing. Yep. And found him the next day just on a... Out of, out of luck. Yeah, dumb luck. I mean, when Adam, we were, what, probably 500 yards apart, sitting in uh, the deer left going away from me, and then he ended up going up a hill. So when we finally called it off, the search that afternoon, he was probably close to a mile from where I was sitting. Did the broadhead, did your arrow hit where you were aiming? Aim to it, it hit. Except for him jumping. Did you make a bad shot? Uh, it hit probably where I was aiming. He probably. He moved. Yeah. No, no, no that's yeah. different. I'm saying if the air, if the deer hadn't moved, yeah. would you have hit where you were aiming? I think so. What were you aiming at? 
That was the white patch in his throat. Straight on. Yeah, yeah. On the ground. I was in a tree stand. Wow. Okay. He's 14 yards away. And he rolled away. on you. 14 yards away. He oh, went. yeah, that's cool. He, I think he turned and kind of tried to wheel. Yeah, yeah he like rolled. what you're saying. But, yeah, so then we ended up calling off like, well, because what happened was that was the first time of the – we had we drove down the night before. Minutes. We drove wow. down the night before, got into town like at 2 in the morning. Yeah. We drank a beer at the motel, got up at like 4 to go get our tags. We didn't have our tags yet. Yep. And then we're in the stand, and he's in it for 15 minutes, and this this monster comes by. Yeah. And so then we tracked it till like, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We're like, you know, we got to just get out of here. Next morning, we came in. I'm like, all right, we'll just sit in our stands till daylight. If You know, you get out and start looking, whatever. Well, the, our listeners have heard this story before, but. I'm sitting in my tree stand, and there's the creek bottoms right in front of me, and it's just really gnarly, thick stuff. And I end up hearing, like, deer coming, and all of a sudden I hear they're blowing, and then something's growling, and shit's running. And I'm like, what the? That scared the shit out of me, honestly. Yeah, right. You know? And then all of a sudden, like, an hour or so later, I see deer coming off on the other side where the saddle is. And uh, <laughs> and all of a sudden... They start blowing again. I'm like, well, the wind's right in my face. It's coming down through there. Coyote. And I'm like, what the hell? All of a sudden, another hour goes by. Here comes deer from the other way. They get down in there. I lose sight of them. They're blowing again. I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I'm like, well, I'm going to go back to the truck. I get down on my tree. I go back to the truck, change up some gear, and I was going to go over onto the other side anyway. what's happening. Yep. And uh, I couldn't. I was going to go across the creek down farther towards Adam was too deep down there. So I come back because I didn't want to go through this super thick shit right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Like, piss on it. Go through it. Come out. Look in the creek. There's a deer laying there with its ass gone right in front. You know. So I, the coyotes have been eating him. I turn around and look up and I shot my tree and it was 40 yards. And that was your deer? Well, I couldn't tell at first because his head was down yeah, in the sure. water. So I'm like, but I had my suspicion. So I climbed down there and sure enough, I pulled out and here's Adam's buck. So, after all that, he shot him. We tracked him. He came back. Left. He came all the way down and died in front of my tree and had, you know, I not been sitting there and heard the coyotes. You'd have been a mile away. We would have been looking the other way and we probably would have never found that deer. Well, that's a good day. You got the deer, right? But And then when we got it out, his broadhead was just mangled. Yeah, still inside. How far did it end? I mean... It was down inside his chest down cavity. Down inside chest cavity. Oh, really? Yep. So you, you did decent. Because mm-hmm. you'd have had a, with any, was it mechanical? Yeah. Uh, good for you. That's one. that's hard to believe. With a, a fixed blade, you'd have probably, probably had this, well, I don't know, the same results or so. I don't I don't know. It's, it, you I can't think, call that. Well, that was a rage extreme, too. So yeah, it was, oh that thing God. went in and just kind of stopped. Yeah, everything if, was wrong. If you would have been <laughs> too. <laughs> I mean, not, not just. I don't know. You got a deer. Well, but. I think it would have been different if you would have been shooting like your. Your fixed blades, it probably would have, you know, penetrated all the way through. would have just went like the one I shot last year, and he would have just walked over there and fell over. Right. Um, You know. There's no call on that. Like like I said, everything was wrong. Like, the the bow that I was shooting, it was an incorrect broadhead as far as, you know, I know you're not a big fan of kinetic energy, but those say you must have this amount of kinetic energy to shoot that. And that that bow didn't meet those qualifications. Yeah, that was even a 60-pound bow. That was a 60-pound bow. Yep. And, but it was a faction of 
bigger's going to be better, right? I can I just got to hit them and you know, and I'll kill them. But Good the the flip side of that is with you know, and that was probably a three hundred and ninety grain arrow. Yeah, that wasn't. You know, it wasn't anything, and it, I couldn't tell you because before we started doing this, and before you know, we started actually looking into stuff, it was just off the shelf. You know, whatever. And I think that that is maybe maybe going away from the majority nowadays with the amount of information on the internet and the things yep. that are freely available, podcasts and whatnot, but. I think that's a representation of a lot of people who just take their bow out of their case one time a year, shoot their arrows, and go out and hunt. I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna, we're not going to be able to stop that. All we can do is just do the education piece and do our best, right? That deer screwed you. And that's probably 90% of the time. The deer alter the shot between four and 10 inches. I think it's pretty, I, it's way more common than people want to admit. If you would video every shot, you'd be amazed what they do. If you'd video every shot. And if, if you'll start watching pictures, when your friends send you pictures, see watch how many sh- shots are below mid-body. Despite the impact point horizontally, look to see how many are – and if you're shooting out of a tree stand, you got to give for that. But if they shoot, if you have friends that shoot from the ground, see if there's any of them that are below mid-body. Now, they may not be aiming there. Fair. But if the animals drop, they're already going to alter the shot up, and that's not in your best interest. We we'll talk about bad blood trails. The pulmonary system is full of air. If you shoot high lung shot, the blood's going downhill. There's this thing called gravity. Apparently, this Newton guy figured out, <laughs> and apparently, it's been around for a while, and it's annoying. So heavy objects are pulled downhill into airspace. It's not coming out. Right, you fill the chest cavity instead. Correct. And then you have the secondary thing we talked about all the parts moving around. People are like, "Well, I shot him. Should have been no, I mean you got a, you've got something this big below your impact point that's full of air. It's just going to fill, and they need to die because before that thing starts spraying, they're probably it's probably coming out their nose if it comes out of anything. So a lot of the people say, "Oh, I had spray all over the trees." That's not the that's right. out of the nose. They're breathing it out. Yeah, when it gets a, on top of the esophagus, they can actually blow past it, and then they just it just comes blowing out, and that's a really good thing. Because it's not going to be long before the lights go out. And so, you know, we've kept you here for well over an hour. And, you know, with the with all the time that we spent earlier in the day, I don't want to keep you too much longer. What's the main point that you would say, you know, to somebody who's um, maybe not happy with their setup? Maybe they keep having um, deer that are lost or, or you know, you know, I think a lot of people get, get down on themselves i mean i know that i've done it you know i had a year where everything was a bad shot and everything went wrong um you know what would be the one takeaway that you would have from this podcast or kind of like what your um what is the 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 fairy dust the fairy mantra the fairy mantra is if you do what i tell you or do what i suggest nothing's going to get worse i promise you i'm trying i have kind of an outrageous way of saying flappers and twizzlers and I have my own language on arrow weights, the skeet load and the adult arrow and magnums and all that stuff. It's, uh, I try to be moderately entertaining to keep it from being too boring because I find some of the pros are really, really dry on their presentation <laughs> style. Just kill, I can't watch some of the pros. I'm just like, okay, off. God, could you just say something stupid every once in a while? Like have a SpongeBob around or be erratic? <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, my channel is about effectiveness. 
I, we discussed when we started. I was 30% on the big pigs that I like to shoot at one time. It was terrible. I just, there was a time when I was just going to go buy, go get the 30 out six out and you cork them in the head and it kills them every time. They don't do well with 180 grain core lock in the side of their head. It's bad for them. And it's pretty easy to do. Um, I want people to just entertain the concepts, but nothing I tell you will hurt you. I promise you. It's oh, You're going to increase your effectiveness compared to what you've got now, unless you're already there. And secondarily, it's a plan B system. It all works when things go right. But I get the calls where I bonked one, I cut one's leg off. <laughs> This deer spun on you and altered that shot four to seven inches. The arrow paradox went up somehow, still kept going down, and you got lucky, right? Mm -hmm. I want that situation maximized. Would you have benefited from something that penetrated seven inches further? You damn right you would have benefited. Mm -hmm. It's seven inches more damage. Was that broadhead destroyed? You said it was. So he didn't bleed good internally. Despite the high impact, he's not going to spray. He's not going to bleed real good. Initial blood is just muscular. And it's easy to run off this upper area because the way the hair lays. So that's why you got that. And then it died, right? The broadhead was trashed and he basically, he bled to death, which is kind of weird, but you don't really want that to happen. You want massive pulmonary damage. So you would have benefited from more penetration. The things that the dog tractor guys say our most common call is bonk. Bonked one, four inches of penetration. Can you can you increase the percentage chance that if a deer changes the shot, you got a chance? That's what that's what I'm really about. Is I would like deer hunters. To, I like I love getting the fairy duster stuff in when people say I made the change. I hit one kind of weird. I still broke the scapula. I've got a guy this week who shot a deer with the Maasai. He's running five fifty. He broke both shoulder flats and the spine. The deer just collapsed. He's got the pictures of the of holes, dime-sized holes in both shoulder flats, and it went through the spine, and it passed through. <laughs> was he planning to shoot both shoulder flats and the spine? No, he was not. You shouldn't aim there. So I'm not saying intentionally be, ir- be irresponsible on your shot placement. Follow the same guidelines. Lower one-third, in the shoulder, in front of the crease, in the ribs, don't be irresponsible, but do you have a setup that ha- that will allow you to acquire the deer that you've been hanging in a tree for 10 days in zero degree weather and freezing your balls off when it doesn't work, when, when, when they change it, or you aren't that good because you're freezing to death. And that's, that's where I, that's really what I'm about. Well, I think everybody could appreciate that. I mean, I think John was on the fence here, you know, <laughs> going into it because, you know, he, He's very particular, and so uh, I think it's very articulate in the way that you, you say everything, and I think one of the things that I really appreciate about it and you coming on here is is having that everyman type um, ideal of saying, you know, yeah, there's great things out there that are not affordable, that are not attainable, so yep. this is the next step, and I think uh, our, our listeners will really appreciate that, and I really appreciate you coming on. So, yeah, sure. Well, yeah. thanks, guys. I'm it's fun to be on here and get get the word out about the fairy dust and about the Ashby Foundation and all that stuff. And y'all will be hearing more about that when we get, you know, 
get ramped up and and move along. And so where can everybody follow along with what you're doing? Pretty much the best thing to do is go on YouTube and find the Ranch Ferry. And then I'm on Instagram under the Ranch Ferry. And somehow my Facebook got wrapped up with Ranch Ferry. So it's W-R-A-Y Ranch Ferry. I'm 50. I have self-confidence. I'm not unraveling it. I don't give a damn. So if you can't find me on Facebook, it's fine. You can get all your friends and y'all can make fun of me or join your groups or whatever. I'm not doing it. So uh, that the easiest thing to do is Google Ranch Ferry and I'll come up. You'll see my grinning ass. And some of the pictures that are on there are hilarious. I'm just like, did you really take that picture? I'm like, yeah, you know. And uh, But you won't miss me and there's no competition. <laughs> In the tough guy archery space, I don't have a lot of competitors for the name. Nobody's trying to do ranch-ferry, ranch-ferry, F-E-E-R-Y, or trying to sponge off. They're too tough for that, right? Got their little outfits, $600 outfits, you know. Beanie, got to have a beanie. Yeah. And... Everyone shoots with a binocular case now. I don't give a damn where they're doing it. You got to have the binocular case. I was out today testing Fletching's binocular case. So I'm going to start doing that. I mean, I got to live up to this stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah, look the part. We yeah, should, I got to look the part. should have brought a flat bill. Actually, yeah, I got to get a flat bill. Yeah. I had, I almost bought a flat earth hat that was a flat brim and wore it here. <laughs> If you've um, never read about the flat earth, it's fantastic. I've read uh, about the flat earth. Those guys are awesome. I almost <laughs> went to the convention and I was out of town. I didn't get to go. I was in Dallas. Ah, oh, would have been awesome. <laughs> well, we really appreciate it, Troy. And yeah. I think that's kind of all we got for this afternoon. All so, right. Thanks, man. Thanks, everybody.